This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley's pasture-raised chicken sticks. I'm super excited to share Paleo Valley's brand new pasture-raised chicken sticks. These chicken sticks are made from 100% pasture-raised chicken and organic spices that are preserved using natural fermentation rather than preservatives. So yes, no fake stuff or additives here. These chicken sticks are sourced from regenerative family farms raised on American pastures and each stick is free of chemicals, antibiotics, pesticides, and added hormones. Paleo Valley's chicken sticks are a perfect snack packed with 7 grams of protein and frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.com slash nwj and use code nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks again for listening and supporting this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Hey guys, I am so excited to have my dear friend Miriam on who is a part of the biohacking family. If you guys don't follow them yet, you definitely need to. They are all things biohacking and how to live a holistic lifestyle with kids, with parenting, with food and diet and nutrition and all these good things, including sleep. So Miriam, hi, thanks for joining me today. Hi, I wish I was in Texas with you. It is much colder here. (laughs) Oh, is it really cold there right now? And this morning I woke up and it was like 24 degrees. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's a uh, 90 degrees this, today. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you, if you want to introduce yourself uh, to those um, people that are watching that are in the social media space that don't know you. So um, I am Miriam Erickson. I'm 35 years old and my husband Sterling and I have one daughter, Kalina. And if you ask her, she will say she's four years old, four and three quarters, because her birthday is really soon. Um, We live in Salt Lake City, Utah. We love to travel and love all things health related. When we started our, I think we started our Instagram, like went public six months ago, we decided to call it the biohacking family. And it was kind of like a joke because we were like, well, biohacking is actually way more simple than anyone gives it credit. Like, Mm -hmm. Get quality sleep, get sunshine, eat nutritious bioavailable food, um, you know, make sure that you know how to handle stress in healthy ways. So just like really simple things. And so we kind of just went with that. Um, but then sometimes we'll get people asking us like, well, have you ever tried this or this? And we're like, no, <laughs> this is like really basic. Everyone and anyone can hack their biology through nutritional practices together. I'm more of the really social personable. I love to connect people. I love everything that involves people. And he's more of like the scientific, the studies, the introvert side of us. Tell me what got you into nutrition and, you know, I know you guys follow a meat-based diet. So what got you guys into that as well? So our, so health, I don't know, probably, so when we first got married like 15 years ago, um, Sterling had done like classic style Bill Phillips bodybuilding, plain chicken and broccoli, you know, weighing everything out. And so over the years, like, we would kind of go to the gym on and off, whatever. Um, 
tons of pre-workout, crank your headphones up as loud as they go and just like go for it. When I was going to like really hardcore, I thought, and I was pretty small and I could leg press like over 300 pounds. Wow. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is awesome. But I didn't like feel super good about myself. Well, <laughs> no, salt is bad. Sugar is bad. Like everything, like it, it just wasn't enough nutrients. Well, he ended up dislocating his shoulder and I took him to the ER and they couldn't get it back in. So they had to sedate him. Oh, wow. And after that, he had an injury and he was just, he kept thinking, he was like, how am I going to heal? And he, one book led to another and he kind of got started on some of Mark Sisson's work. Mm-hmm. But then we were like, oh, this is a huge shift in our thought process, like more right. of ancestral primal eating, um, not necessarily following like the paleo, but the idea of it, because we still tried to avoid like a lot of processed foods, which mm-hmm. anything, whether it's like paleo or keto or something, there's still like a huge amount of processed foods marketed right. in those, like, I don't know if you want to call them diets or help spheres or whatever but that wasn't our intention so after that um then we kind of he decided when I was pregnant to get health certified through Mark's program Primal Blueprint Mm -hmm. and then he started it was super funny because while I was pregnant he was like um how do you feel about eating your placenta and I was like um I'm not a cannibal what (laughs) that not okay. I'm not doing that. And he's like, no, no. he's like, actually all mammals, like even herbivores, all mammals do that. Um, and I was like, I, that's great. I'm so, I'm so grateful that you showed me all of the health benefits from that. No, (laughs) gross. Wait, so did you end up doing it? Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead. So my midwife was like, oh, no, I'll just, like, take this and add some Chinese herbs in it and put it in capsules, dehydrate it, and give it back. And I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you. I can handle that. Yeah. I can I can handle anything in a capsule. But um, some people really do just put it in smoothies or um, consume it raw, and I couldn't do that. I was not willing to do that, but it was funny because, so I'm pregnant and he's like, so I think you need to start taking a fish oil and like, he would be like, okay, so I need you, you actually need more liver. And I'm like, you're not even the one that's pregnant. Gross. Why do you want me to do all this stuff? (laughs) And he's like, well, it's for the baby. (laughs) Well, that's amazing that you have a partner at least that, uh, you know, is doing a lot of the research for you. And so is, you know, supportive of having the, you know, best offspring that you can have. So that's pretty awesome. And that, and that was really the intention behind it because it wasn't just, this is what I want you to do. He was like, this is the outcome if you do it. So at 33 weeks, I kind of like jump ship and I was supposed to deliver at the university of Utah hospital, which is a registered baby friendly hospital. It's the best in the state. And one day she's like, um, we both got a fork and I was like, Hey, I can't, I can't do this. And he's like, no, 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 you have to do this. You're pregnant. And I was like, no, I can give birth. I just can't do it there. He's like, where do you want to do it? I don't want it at home. <laughs> he's like, that freaks me out. So then we started touring birth centers. Mm-hmm. And so he picked the one that we went to whatever he was comfortable with. Cause I was like, I don't okay. care where. I just, it stressed me out. It's a teaching hospital and having too many people in my space. 
Yeah. Or maybe pressuring me into doing something that I didn't want to do when I wasn't thinking clearly. Because mm-hmm. I've never given birth before. And I was like, you can take classes, you can read books, you can have podcasts. But I don't, both my grandparents are dead and I don't have a mom who's there for me. So I'm like, um, I I need to like make sure I'm in a good space to do this. Right, right. So we had a natural childbirth and it was 23 hours. It was pretty, it was like pretty intense. Um, And it's still, I wanted it because all of the science I knew beforehand. Yeah. When the baby passes through vaginal canals, swallowing vaginal juices to seed their gut bacteria, um, your milk supply being a better, it being really available Mm -hmm. because you don't have any medications in your system you being able to do skin to skin and bond with your baby um all of these benefits healing faster um so everything i knew the reason i was going to do that was because i knew the outcome if i did i was so i loved my birth it was really 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 intense and i lost a lot of blood and it was like it was it was the hardest thing I had ever done in my entire life. But all of the outcomes happened w- the way I thought they would. Yeah. So I had no idea. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to breastfeed because that's best for the baby, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll probably breastfeed six months or whatever. Three and a half years later, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> what? I did not ever plan to be that person. And I didn't even... I didn't even realize that, like, it would be such an odd thing for other people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I still get it right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My mom is like, oh, yeah, you're going to nurse until he's 10. It's so <laughs> weird. It's not healthy for you. Yeah. It's weird because, you know, up to the, like, month six or even, like, year one, it's, you know, people are like, Oh, you should breastfeed, right? It's so healthy. And then, like the minute, like there's certain time frame passes, it's like, oh, you still breastfeed? You know, it's this like, oh, you need to cut the cord type of thing, you know. But it's, I mean, y- you know. But there's just so much research out there for how beneficial breast milk is. And my main argument is just, I mean, if your body can biologically still and physically still make milk, maybe you're supposed to be be you know able to feed milk still. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I think the thing about human, um, just the way that the mind works is we naturally have this self-preservation. And so if someone is different than us, if someone has different values than us, then our natural instinct is to become um, defensive. And it's it's really about self-preservation. It's not about the other person. And researched what's the best way to you know have a baby it's normalized to get an epidural right it's normalized to these days even like if at a certain point if it doesn't work get the c-section and most moms don't know that if you get a c-section right your the gut uh, microbiome doesn't pass on to the kid and it's more of the hospital's uh, microbiome that is in the baby so some baby friendly hospitals are cluing in on that and they're actually seeding oh um, yeah from which which is great, but my thing is, is no matter what you choose and whatever ends up happening, be informed of the risks and know what's your next step to take. And I would never, ever tell anyone else 
to breastfeed for three and a half years. Yeah. Like to put that kind of stress on somebody else. So it was like one thing after another. So I was like, oh yeah, sure. I'll breastfeed for like six months or whatever. I mean, it's good for the kid. Mm -hmm. Then as I started to get really deep into the research and then the benefits of like toddler breastfeeding and then the long-term benefits for my body. I mean, it was like once I committed to it and then kept seeking out the knowledge, I was blown away. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe how beneficial it was. Um, when Kleena was like three months old, so my optometrist, one time I told him about, oh, Kleena had an eye infection mm-hmm. and I used breast milk to clear it up. And he's like, wait, did you take pictures? And I was like, no, I didn't think to take pictures. <laughs> he was like, I've only heard about that like in medical books at school. So she woke up and her eyes were like sealed yeah. shut with crusties and it was like, yellowish green I was like oh my gosh what happened so I took a washcloth and I wiped it off and then every time I breastfed her I just squirted milk in both eyes yeah three days it was gone and I didn't take her to the doctor I didn't feel like I needed to and she was getting better and I was like uh breast milk is magic (laughs) and the milk does change from a newborn to a toddler I mean it's totally different the reason so Um, everybody was like, oh, your child will self-wean, you know, they'll stop breastfeeding. Kalina would have never stopped breastfeeding. And my health was really bad at the time. And so I was like, I, I need to. Um, so I asked her and I was like, um, when do you think you'll be done breastfeeding? And she's like, oh, when I'm 33. (laughs) That's not going to work for me. (laughs) So. I, she never slept more than three or four hours at a time. Oh, wow. Okay. She was over three. And oh. when, when I say like, I took naps with her every single day. Um, I really like limited what I committed to, but it was brutal. Um, and doctors were like, she's thriving. She's developing way ahead of like typical milestones. She's so healthy. She's so happy. Um, she would even at one and a half. So I breastfed her day and night on demand whenever she wanted. Um, and even at one and a half, she still woke up hungry. Like I would wake up and make her eggs and avocado and bacon. And she just was so petite that she couldn't stay full. Okay. So that was really brutal for us. Um, to have our first kid not sleep till she's over three years old. Um, I developed dysfunctional uterine bleeding. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I thought it was because of not sleeping for so Mm -hmm. many years. Yeah. I mean, I would even, like, smash up our car. I would, like, I couldn't finish my sentences. Um, I was really, really sick. So dysfunctional uterine bleeding um, is not very common. And out of, like, 30 days in a month, I would be bleeding for 27 of them. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was essentially bleeding to death and couldn't figure out what to do. Doctors were like, um, well, you can get a hysterectomy or you can go on birth control. I didn't, I didn't want to do either of those. I wasn't, that wasn't something that I was considering option. I was like, how do I get my body to heal? How do I address what's going on? Um, Sterling had been carnivore or like on a meat-based diet for Mm -hmm. over a year and a half. And he was like, just try it. Please just try it. What happened is I got braces on and I kind of stopped eating meat. Not in, not like intentionally. 
And so I just, I was like, oh, that's okay. I'm just going to do green smoothies. I'm just going to add spirulina and Corella and like all these superfood powders. I'm like, I will be so healthy. No worries. And everything just got worse. Like so bad. And here I am, like I would spend so much money on supplements and be like, oh, I'm so healthy. Like I'm, I'm taking all of these like really amazing products and I was getting sicker and I was feeling awful. My eyes like completely quit producing tears, which I didn't know. I'd never even heard of dry eyes because I was like, what do you mean? My tear ducts have always like worked and they hurt so bad. I like wanted to rip my eyeballs out. Well, (laughs) dry eyes, hives, dysfunctional uterine bleeding, um, not sleeping well, all these like weird things, Mm -hmm. uh, all correlations to oxalate poisoning. Hey guys, just to let you know, my Carnivore Cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it. Dry- oh, yeah, yeah, because you do get dry skin from oxalate. Yeah. Yeah. And I would ever, I have some kind of weird, funky skin thing to where I'll break out in hives. Okay. Um, but it just got really bad. And so when Sterling was like, hey, just try this. Just try. And I still had my braces on. And I was like, you want me to only eat meat? I'm like, do you know how hard that's going to be? And he's like, yeah. But here's the thing. Try it for seven weeks and see how it goes. I taught outdoor education for five years, taking kids on hiking field trips, teaching them about botany and ecosystems. And um, I was like, yeah, plants are super toxic. I'm like, certain plants, if you cut them right at the node, you can see this white ooze come out of them. And I'm like, yeah, I showed that to kids all the time. And Strang's like, yeah, but we never really considered how it was affecting our body. So listening to like Sally Norton stuff, I was just blown away. I was like, why is this the first time I'm hearing about it? Oh my gosh. I didn't even know what an oxalate was and I've poisoned myself. Yeah. So I tried going meat-based and all of a sudden my cycle started to regulate. Oh, wow. Without trying to, I lost 30 pounds. Sterling's rule for me was eat as much meat anytime you want. Well, this is terrible to admit, but when I still had braces, I was eating bacon and hot dogs the most. That was like the base of what I was eating. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, they were like really high quality hot dogs and bacon, but still processed meat because I could not chew a steak. Um, I probably should have blended it up. I didn't think of that then. (laughs) But when I started to heal and when things started to change, all of a sudden I was like, holy cow, I don't care what study or what doctor or what anyone say, I can tell a difference with my body. Yeah. So that was, that was the turning point for me when I, and it wasn't, it wasn't like a palate, like a taste thing. It was a mental thing. I had to break up with the idea that plants were healthy because I had worked with so many vegans and so many people Mm -hmm. that just, worshipped plants and I still do I mean I love plants for different reasons right but 
I had to mentally get around the fact that plants didn't love me back and meat did. And it showed me that in such a short period of time. I, w- I wasn't going to the gym. I wasn't on any exercise program. I wasn't doing really anything besides just living my normal life to drop 30 pounds to heal from dysfunctional uterine bleeding that I had for two years. So I started to heal after just a couple weeks and then it just got better and better. I'm eating almost like the opposite. What everyone would be like, oh, if you want a heart attack, if you want to die, go ahead and eat this. And my body was still healing. So another thing that happened to me when I was plant-based, my gallbladder stopped working. Oh, okay. And I was like, I have a... Oh, were you really, really low fat? Um, yeah, not really intentionally, but yeah, I was really low fat. So my gallbladder stopped working and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in so much pain. Well, if I would have went to the ER, they would have just been like, all right, let's take it out. Uh, When I say, when I like very passionately say meat heals... It's not because of anything other than my own personal experience. And that's huge. I mean, when I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I might not live. I'm not going to be around for my kid. I'm bleeding to death. And then in a matter of weeks, I'm feeling better. That's all the proof that I need. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to keep doing that because that's how my body's thriving. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think I know a lot of people say, oh, well, that's anecdotal. But when you're the N equals one is you, it doesn't matter what the studies show. And so that's wonderful. I mean, that's an amazing story. And I'm not kidding. Meatheals.com. Like the more meat I ate, the calmer and clearer I could think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the better I could process things and set boundaries with people. And I'm like, okay, I don't care if it's something to do with my blood sugar. I don't care about all of the scientific scientific like studies about how amazing meat is. I feel it. I'm I'm a better person. And it's not just at a physical level, mental, emotional, like it's everything. So it's it's kind of crazy to think that what you consume and what you nourish your body with can be so life-changing. And I would have, any listening to these stories before I did it, piqued my interest. Sure. But it wasn't like it convinced me or it made me really understand until I tried it myself. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's unfortunate. I think there's so much misinformation. And so, you know, like stories like yours and how healing and incredibly healing your story is, it's amazing. Um, so how old is your daughter? And so, I mean, obviously you said she nursed until she was three and a half. So I'm assuming she's older than, oh, you said she was four and a half. Um, so what does she eat in a typical day? If you and Sterling eat primarily meat, like what do you guys feed her? So um, she will be five in November. Mm-hmm. And when when we stopped breastfeeding, it was really hard for her. She was She was not wanting to stop, but I had to for my health. It wasn't something that I could continue. Um, And so even so her first foods as a baby were bone broth, um, egg yolks and avocado. Mm -hmm. So she really had like a savory palate to begin with. So breastfeeding and then introducing fats. um, I never gave her fruit purees. We've never really had strict guidelines with her. 
So our guidelines are no artificial colors, dyes, or sweeteners, preservatives. Um, stay away from packaged foods as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And really try to stay away from sugar. So those are the things that we st- try to stay away from. Okay. Which I don't feel like that's extreme. But <laughs> that puts like three-fourths of any grocery store off your list. Things that she regularly asks for that like are her favorite foods would be eggs, um, filet mignon, shredded pork, ribeye, mm-hmm. um, sushi rice, cooked in bone broth. I mean, she's she's a really good eater. And when my in-laws um, will come over, they're always surprised because she eats as much as an adult. Right, right. My kids she, do. Yeah. She eats it. She'll eat anything we eat. She has a really strong immune system. She's a really healthy, active kid. Mm-hmm. So I always say, so when she wants me to eat something with her and I don't want to, I say, oh, I'm not in my growing stage. You know, I don't, I don't really want to eat that right now. So I don't want to put it as a negative for her. Sure. That's good. That's she good. chooses. She, I mean, she's four. There's still a ton of food she's never even tried. Yeah. And I want her to be open to trying new feeds. Like, um, really enjoy vegetables and wants to consume them. Awesome. Do whatever you want. Cook them. Yeah. Always, always cook them and eat them with fat because when you even just pick like chard or kale or something like that, so you pinch a leaf off and that white stuff starts to ooze off. That's the plant's defense mechanism. It tastes bad. And basically if you look at the mycorrhizal fungal network, Mm -hmm. plants can communicate with each other. And in a forest, if one tree is threatened, the rest through the root system and the mycorrhizal fungal network will send nutrients to aid it. Any plant, when you cut it and you see whether it's yellow or white or when it's oozing, those are toxins. That's it's trying to taste terrible so whoever's attacking it stops attacking it. That Um, makes sense. Where the breakdown becomes is we think, oh, well, sure, that's a plant's defense. But then never question, what is it doing to my digestive system? Right, right. And it's so funny because you'll hear horticulturists and biologists and teachers and people who know tons about plants tell you all this stuff, but then never make the correlation of what effect does it have on it. That's interesting. Yeah, so, uh, for example, when you cut grass, that smell that you're feeling, I mean, it's the cr- the cry of the grass telling people, I'm getting cut, I'm hurt. Yeah. So whenever I smell it, I don't think, oh, the, you know, the smell of fresh dew, and I'm like, oh, no, they're crying for help now. <laughs> so that's the, that's the thing, is what I think really was a mind um, change or really helped me look at the focus of the difference was where do I belong on the food chain Mm -hmm. and how would I help an ecosystem thrive? Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you can't eat plants 365 days a year in cold climates. Well, my, my grandparents immigrated over from Denmark after world war two. Sterling's Mm -hmm. grandparents immigrated from Sweden after world war two. And we met and were married in Alaska. Okay, we're kind of northern people. 
Yeah. Guess what? Plants don't grow most of the year. <laughs> like, right. Even if you wanted to, it's just not going to work out. So when you start to look at that as where do I belong on the food chain and how do I want an ecosystem to thrive? So I taught outdoor education for five years and Clean and I are really, really into organic gardening. We have a worm tower. Um, we plant all organic heirloom seeds. We look at the insects, the biodiversity. Soil is really, really one of the biggest things that repopulates your gut. But soil, that's why it's so important for kids to play in soil, healthy soil. Um, but when you look at it and you're like, okay, what is my stomach and what are the abilities that I have versus a strict herbivore? Mm-hmm. And why is it that cows can save the planet and that regenerative agriculture is so beneficial for the land. Well, that's one of the biggest things that people don't talk about or are misinformed is that if humans were to go completely um, vegan, that would kill the planet the fastest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because absolutely. you can't grow plants to feed everyone without completely destroying ecosystems. You need healthy soil, healthy plants, healthy animals, and then humans. Humans have to eat very, very little animals to thrive. I mean, you you could be gluttonous and gorge yourself, and it still would be so little compared to the amount of plants you need to eat right. that would devastate the environment. So when you look at it from that point, I eat meat, number one, because it healed my body. And I had the courage to try because other people share their stories. Mm -hmm. I eat meat, number two, because it is the best thing I can do for the planet. Um, When you really, truly understand those concepts, you start to question a lot of things that are marketed and a lot of the health ideals that you maybe have hung on to your entire life. I mean, forcing kids to eat vegetables is something we should stop doing. It's more of understanding, like most people don't understand that plants are toxic. And the consequence of of even just 100 years ago, most of the plants that are available now didn't even exist. They're so hibernized. Then in addition to that, you talk about supermarkets and shipping things from all over the world and having a blender. Well, no wonder why everyone's so sick. Plants were never meant to be consumed in that quantity 365 days a year. Like, that's where Sally Norton is really, really helpful for people who don't understand that they've poisoned themselves. But when we talk about GMOs, just from a, um, from our environmental, right? So it's their, their monocrops where basically you can never use that plant as seed again. So you have to keep buying them and then it destroys the land, right? So it depletes the soil from all the nutrients. And that's the other thing is a lot of people want to, um, argue in favor for big agriculture because we're going to feed the world. Yeah. Walmart's waste alone, what they throw away could feed the world. We don't have a food shortage. We have a greed problem. Yeah. There, People starving in Africa is not because there's a food shortage. It's because tribes and governments fight amongst each other. Um, it, it really is marketed as like, oh, we need to feed the world. If you wanted to feed the world, you would do what was best for the environment mm-hmm. and best for the help of the smallest microorganisms 
all the way up to the apex predators. A food chain and an ecosystem is all interactive. They all depend and need each other. A healthy ecosystem, it starts from the ground up. It starts from the soil. You would never, ever use any type of herbicide or pesticide because when it gets in the soil or when it gets in the water, you can't have a healthy ecosystem. But if you don't understand that the smallest microorganisms and insects, it's not just organic. I mean, it's a healthy ecosystem for them to survive. Went to Felton... Um, Felton's Ranch in Montana and I mean a really in-depth all-day tour of what regenerative agriculture was he even showed us at Canyon Meadows um, Rick showed us how the river changed paths and how rotational grazing allowed more plants to grow I mean it was wild he was like this area used to be really kind of sagebrushy and desert Mm -hmm. and now we have a pond and a beaver's dam on it because of rotational grazing right right their animals were so healthy and just huge and we were like how do you get them so huge if they're 100 percent grass-fed and he goes it's selective breeding a lot of people try grass-fed and say oh it tastes gross yeah well, the reason that is, is because they've butchered an old animal. They weren't able to get the animal large enough fast enough, so they waited till it was like three or four years old before yeah. they butchered it. And yeah, it tastes gross. So he was showing us a bunch of bulls. Rick at Canyon Meadows was showing us a bunch of bulls that were about to, were almost ready, that were looking really good. And he goes, you know, we'll probably choose those ones next week um, to send to be butchered. They're really doing well. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this one's 19 months old. And I'm like, what? Wow. How are they so young and huge? And he goes, we have been into regenerative agriculture before it was cool. He goes, we've been doing this since the 70s and 80s on our family's land. And he goes, when you really understand how to care for the animals in the land, you get a huge return. I think it's okay to have a little loss in crops, but... But, you know, we don't think about, I mean, it was really eye-opening to see how many pesticides are used in organic farming. And um, and I don't think anyone questions it. You know, they think, oh, it's natural, so it can't be harmful for your body. But a lot of them actually are carcinogenic. And it's really unfortunate because everyone pays a higher price for organic and they don't question um, if it's good for you. And it's um, it's really sad. I, I, I can't, like, emphasize enough that you have all the power and control, what you put in your mouth is either healing or killing you. When you talk about health, in North America, the statistics are one in three people will get some per, some form of cancer. Yeah. Okay, so if I don't have cancer and St- Sterling doesn't have cancer, Kalina's going to get it? Yeah. Our family's three, so one in three. One of us is going to get it. And everybody looks at it and thinks oh we have to find a cure we have to find a cure and I'm like what about prevention yes what about healing your body so your body can naturally fight off cancer cells humans have been doing that for thousands or millions of years however long you want to look at it when I started to look at the immune system and look into immunology all of a sudden I was really taken back so okay 
The health of the mother and the father before birth matter. Yeah. How the child is born matters. The child um, before birth goes into a deep, deep circadian rhythm sleep that cannot be replicated outside of the womb. Yes. So if you have um, a C-section or if you're induced before your baby gets that deep sleep, it's a huge hit to their immune system. If your baby does not swallow vaginal juices and gets that seeded microbiome, that's a huge hit there to their immune system. Then it's breastfeeding. If they're not breastfeeding, breastfed, there's another hit. Well, I was like, okay, I got that under control. Okay, what's up next do I got to learn about? So I had a friend and she goes, um, have I told you my story? I said, no. And her sweet, sweet, healthy little baby, mm-hmm. healthy one day, took him in for a well visit. Okay. Um, got the MMR vaccine and next day was dead. Oh she went gosh. through the entire um, process of reporting to her doctor, reporting to VAERS, reporting um, to the police department. And the medical examiner told her, he goes, I can't put um, vaccine injury as cause of death. We are not allowed to do that. And he goes, but I can tell you how many babies that I have seen from the previous day that had a vaccination and the next day I'm having to fill out a death certificate for. And I said, and I, um, I had never heard her story and she had children after that. And I said, did you know, did you know that could happen? And she goes, I didn't know. I didn't know. And then later when I got a list of the reactions and side effects, Mm -hmm. possible death from the MMR vaccine is listed right on there. She goes, my doctor had never even read a vaccine insert. She goes, I chose not to vaccinate my other children and I have three other healthy children. So all of a sudden I went, well, what am I going to, what am I going to do? Well, I started looking into it and started hearing more stories and started learning more about immunology. Chicken pox, measles, mumps, and rubella Mm-hmm. are childhood illnesses that prevent cancer from taking over. When you get those childhood illnesses, your body and your immune system have the strength to fight off cancer cells. You have cancer cells every day in your body. Yes. But if you have a strong enough immune system, you can fight them off. Well, there's skyrocketing rates of childhood cancer. And vaccines have never been tested for carcinogens. So that was a question. That was like, well, is that a risk I'm willing to take? If my doctor's not held responsible, if there's an adverse reaction or my child's dead, and the vaccine company is not, manufacturer's not held liable, why would I consume this product? I would never buy a car seat where the manufacturer wasn't held liable if there was a faulty issue. So I'm like, why would I do this? I started, it wasn't like on a whim. It was five years of deep, deep research. Um, 
and learning that most people who choose to have natural immunity for their families is because they have a dead or injured child from vaccines. Now, this is not a topic that people like to get into. It's ugly and there's so much money behind it. Um, it is something that is so hard for people to grasp because, like you said, they've never questioned it. Um, the amount of vaccines that are given now versus 15 years ago versus yeah. 30 years ago versus 50 years ago. Um, people, people who are uncomfortable with getting the flu shot, people who are uncomfortable with the vaccine schedule now, but say, oh, but, but polio. Thank goodness the vaccine saved us from polio. And a lot of people don't remember that we were spraying DDT all over swimming pools and parks and that we had lead in our paint and that we um, had a lot of other crazy things going on in that time that were misdiagnosed. Polio is alive and well. It's just been renamed to six different things. When you look into who profits and that we've paid over $4 billion to vaccine um, injured families, whether their child's severely injured or dead, you start to question if that's really the most beneficial thing. Another thing that an immunologist um, said to me is he said, you know, when you bypass the respiratory system and the digestive system and go straight to the bloodstream, yes. your body does not have the ability to make the correct antibodies to fight that. Mm -hmm. And every ingredient that is in the vaccine that just went straight into your bloodstream is now going to cross the blood brain yes. barrier. You cannot detox from that. So there's a huge correlation between the Alzheimer's and dementia and cancer and all these neurological issues that we have. Everybody wants to find a cure, but nobody wants to talk about the cause because you're either a crazy person or you don't have the big money from pharma backing you. A right. lot of doctors have gotten their licenses revoked, have been blackballed, even to question it. There's a lot of doctors in Europe right now who are saying, oh, vaccines are amazing, but they need to be bio-individual. You need to take someone's individual DNA. You need to combine it with an oral vaccine that doesn't have toxins in it. And they're finding a lot of success from that. Mm. But when asked, most parents have never even looked at the ingredients that are in a vaccination well most people are not reading what's in their food yeah if you look at the illnesses and diseases we're one of the sickest countries in the world and that should be a red flag everybody should be like what the f is going on it's yeah, not I, one I, thing 
Yeah, I mean, I could t- share some information. Um, there was, okay, so two things. Like in the flu shot, um, if you look at the like the ingredients, they use egg whites. And so there's a warning that says if you are allergic at all to eggs, you shouldn't be getting the flu shot. But most people don't know that there's a lot of people that are allergic to eggs, right? And so like you just said, you're getting the shot, your digestive system can't even fight the toxins, that egg white is going straight into your blood. Um, So that's why the flu shot can actually be very dangerous, especially if you have an egg allergy, because I mean, again, it's going to bypass the all your protective mechanisms before getting into the blood. Um, Secondly, in terms of our U.S. health, uh, the research I just showed, um, saw was that our death rate when babies are born, um, it's one of the lowest. We're doing really bad, basically, compared to any first world country, any um, country that's doing r- real well. Um, the I think the moms dying and also the babies uh, not making it. It's something that you go... Technology has advanced so much that we shouldn't have this kind of issue. And this issue is created by greed. So we have amazing scientists and doctors that aren't being listened to that are being silenced. And that's a problem. Yeah. So we are like the top five richest countries. We're part of the top five. And I think our death rate, though, it's our life lifespan expectancy. I think we're like top 30. I mean, it's really bad and it's dropped. And Part of the reason is, I mean, as we were talking about the C-sections, because like moms are electing for C-sections more and there are certain doctors, I mean, just from a financial perspective, C-sections make more money and it makes more money for the hospital. So um, one thing I recommend for people is before you have your baby, um, look at your doctor and the rates of C-sections they have and then the hospitals they have the C-sections because same thing. So if your doctor is higher on the ratings of C-sections and then the hospital too, they will probably opt for a C-section. If you're having maybe a small amount of, um, I don't know, like struggles in your, um, when you're giving birth. So, I mean, it's, it's things that you would never think of. You trust your doctor, but I mean, it's, we're in a time and, and, and it's showing in our numbers, right? It's showing in how many kids are getting sick. It's showing in the death rates and illness that we really need to start questioning because we are getting sick. Um, as I'm doing research for the book, there are so many ingredients that are okay in America that are illegal in Europe. Like, yes. I mean, so I don't want to give away certain parts of my book because I feel like it's uh, the, you know, the, the, like the, the good gold nuggets. But one thing I'll share is like Monsanto who created the whole, all the, the glyphosate and the GMO stuff, right? They are now owned by Bayer who is in Germany. But just think of this, like just within one year of Bayer buying out Monsanto, Germany is banning any of their foods to have glyphosate on it. So the parent company that is in Germany, which is probably such a big part of their gross national product, they're banning it. So they can sell it to the rest of the world, but not in their country. Yes. And I mean, that like but, that. Hold on. Where did Bayer start? I, I don't know. I Oh, they, I know that they have aspirin. World War II, some of the top pharmaceutical companies in the world came from Dr. Mengele. Why? Because he did such heinous human experiments that some of the people that worked with him got asylum in other countries. And pharmaceutical companies trace their origins 
back to those practices. So it is a long, dark history when you start to look at the foundation of some of these companies and what they have done, whether it's chemicals, whether it's spraying Agent Orange in the jungles during Vietnam War, whether it's what we they did in the concentration camps. I mean, these this it's like that quote, if you don't learn from history, it will repeat itself. It might be in a different way, and you might not be awake enough to realize what's going on, but it's going to happen again. Y- yes. I mean, like the food colorings, it's just to look better. Like there is no benefit in food colorings other than to make foods look more appealing. And these foods are targeted to our kids. But I mean, like I've, I've said this before, but there is... N- Yellow three is not just an arbitrary number. It's because yellow one and two are banned. They are banned, right? And if you look at all the colorings, and these are also in our like skincare and all this stuff, it is, they are so carcinogenic and so toxic. But the argument that someone gave was, well, do you really want your maraschino cherries to look brown? Like that is the reason why red 23 or whatever that red number is, when it's now banned in cosmetics, they haven't fully been able to ban it in foods. It's, it's, it's wild because, and they admit that it's carcinogenic. So then at least they removed it in cosmetics. And it's, it's so sad because most of us don't know, right? We're like, it's, it's not that harmful for our kids to be consuming glyphosate and Cheerios. Okay, fine, maybe, right? But then what if they're playing on yards and they are playing on yards that are sprayed with glyphosate? And what are they drinking in the water? So you can't spray a poison, um, you can't spray a poison and not understand that it doesn't just go onto the plant. It goes into the soil and the water yes. system. Yes. So it it's it's something to where people people want to think, oh well, it's not that big big of a deal if I do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but you didn't know about the ten other things where your immune system or your child was being attacked. With all the food additives and nutrients and all that stuff, I always tell people, you know, you know that smoking and tobacco is bad. You would never give it to your kids. But then if with that same thought, like, why would you give these juices and these toxins, right? These foods that are literally killing your kids slowly. Like, why would you do that to them? Right. And I don't think a lot of people are there yet. I think because everyone else does it, it seems normal and therefore it's okay, but it's not right. So I think it really, it's the people that are in the know. If we I think it is our moral obligation to share. You have the ability to express your genes differently. You have the ability to change the outcome for your children. This is, this is serious stuff. Infertility rates. I mean, nobody goes into the cause of that. What if you could heal yourself? What if you could save your child's life? What if you could prevent that in the simplest way possible? And that is the only reason we started sharing our story. Because we're like, what does a healthy child look like? What does it look like for the parents to take responsibility and heal themselves? You know, I I think we're going to wrap up soon. But um, one thing I just want to leave with the parents and, you know, people watching is that the the California lawsuit um, where the the school groundskeeper won for glyphosate. Uh, he was spraying it for I don't know how many years, but you know he thought it was safe, and uh, he got non-Hodgkin's life um, lymphoma. And the doctors said it was a it was the fact that he was spraying glyphosate for all those years. He was a school's 
groundsman. So that means that he may have directly touched it, but the research I've seen is that the half-life of glyphosate could be up to 150 days. He was spraying it for sure more than three times a year. Okay, um, so when your kids are stomping on the grounds at school, right, running and rolling on down the rocks, hills, yeah, running on the rocks, Makes those little grass mounds, yes, they're touching, not eating, right? They're probably ingesting it, smelling it, but they are touching it with their skin. So it is bypassing the digestive system. And then when you feed them also like all the other foods that are really high in glyphosates, our kid, and then the, our water systems, right? So if your house is not filtered out, then when they're showering, when they're brushing their teeth, all of that has glyphosate in it. Um, and so all of those toxins, it is going to affect our kids and it is, our, our health is rapidly declining. And so it may not be your kid today, but it can happen anytime because again, it is, glyphosate is sprayed everywhere. Um, I mean, California now finally has made it a likely carcinogen. Um, the EPA has as well. Oh, no, not the EPA. The World Health Organization has as well. And since then, there are some countries that are banning glyphosate. There are some cities that are ban banning it, like Irvine, California. Um, there were a few cities in uh, California that within their parks, they are not allowed to spray. But that means that every city and state that's not listed there, they're using glyphosate. Uh, and so now, like, I want my kids to be earthing, right, and to be put their feet in the floor. But now I'm like, I don't know if this grass has glyphosate in it. We want people to take responsibility and heal themselves and their families. And there's so many people sharing the information. Right. Eat as much meat whenever you want. Then you become in tune with your body. And then you're able to heal. I mean, it's... It re I would never believed it unless I would have tried it and healed from it. If you can share a little bit about where people can find you, what you're doing next, and then uh, we'll link to, again, all the information we were talking about in the show notes. Yeah. So our family is um, on Instagram as the biohacking family. Our biggest thing right now is to connect people. Um, that is what our goal is, is whether it is businesses or individuals, People who are helping others heal or people who are seeking the information. That's what we want to do is connect people. I will talk to you soon. And then, uh, yeah, we'll have this coming out soon. So, all right. Well, thank you for coming on. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free. 
because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.